0: C'est vrai. Je suis un
1: now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a I don't speak on both sides. Now. I do not use
0: crack cocaine, nor am I an addict.
1: We're co-hosts now. That's exciting. We're co and hosting. What a what a night this Cohen. is! Oh yeah, I'm I'm the co-host Janelle. This is fun.
0: And of course we have uh, we have our, our our guest host Bianca.
1: Yes, yeah, she's our new guest host. She's the perfect host. She says nothing. <laughs> she does nothing. She says nothing. She's a- asleep.
0: She knows nothing. She is
1: unconscious on a nearby bed.
0: Utterly dead to the world on a pillow after gorging herself on, on dog food. Yes, my
1: dog's in a food coma. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm trying not to gentrify Spanish Harlem, so I try not to be, like, the fussiest white person in the vicinity, uh, which I, I'd like to think I'm succeeding at. But I took her to PetSmart earlier, and I was like, well, she's five pounds. I mean, I can afford to feed her fancy things. and
0: <laughs> Not a lot of dog, not a lot of food. Not a lot of right? dog,
1: not a lot of food. And I bought her these pouches of wet dog food to sort of make, her dry kibble more appealing i don't know why i'm playing chef to a dog but uh <laughs> probably because i'll never have children and i have no one to love me
0: someone must reciprocate the feelings i have inside
1: yeah i've, I've i i can not have a life partner i can just aggressively smother a small dog i can i can helicopter parent a tiny traumatized dog instead and it's almost as good
0: <laughs> i mean no matter how hard you tiger mom bianca will never learn how to play the
1: piano God damn it, it haunts me. Keeps me up at night. (laughs) She'll just, she'll never play the violin. But I bought her these wet dog food pouches, and they're sort of, it it promised me beef in gravy, but what was inside was like grayish chunks of animal parts in a yellowish Mm. slime. Delicious. thoroughly appetizing so I normally feed her since she was an abused dog and she comes from a neglectful household this is this is the comedy part of the comedy podcast uh, she's she's very food insecure and just sort of like dog neglect dog <laughs> neglect she almost died she got refeeding sickness when she was rescued because she was gulping her food so much mm. and to sort of reduce that I'm supposed to free feed her so I have
0: like she was at a tiny doggy concentration
1: camp oh yeah this is getting funnier by the second. <laughs> Wow, just, oh, dog Auschwitz, what could be funnier than that? (laughs) Holy shit, just, alright, um, okay. The dog cultural revolution? I don't know, the dog five-year plan? Just just a chihuahua
0: genocide.
1: Yikes, um, well, she lived, (laughs) thanks. But I'm supposed to free-feed her so that she always knows that there's food available, so she won't panic, and she always knows that she can get something if she's hungry. So I normally shake, like, a large amount of food into her tiny bowl, And I'll mix in her wet food. She'll eat about half of it for dinner and she can kind of pick at it here and there. It's reduced the gulping. But today I mixed in this like, oh, what looks like industrial runoff into her food. (laughs) And in about two minutes flat, she completely devoured it. The entire amount of food. And now she's just wandering around with this distended chihuahua belly because she (laughs) ate, I think literally her own body mass in cast off beef parts. (laughs) <laughs> just, just a lot of cow tailings. <laughs> yeah, there's just some, some good intestine and fucking tail meat in there. Mm. Lips and tongue. So she's now trying to sleep off this doggy food coma. <laughs> I'm gonna have to take her out for a walk first thing in the morning, or she's just gonna rupture.
0: <laughs> she's just gonna burst like a balloon. On a good day,
1: gonna... this dog shits like a golden retriever. <laughs> It's incredible. She's five and a half pounds, and she just kind of leans over and just shits half her body mass onto the sidewalk. <laughs> People, like, drag their children away. People avert their eyes. Like, it's, it's like you're watching something you were never meant to see. It's Because she does this in the middle of New York City. There's no hiding this, and she has no shame. Um, and she also <laughs> hates and fears subway grates, so she will not walk near the edge of the road or near anything that isn't just a plain open sidewalk. Because she got her foot stuck <laughs> in a subway grate once, and it was the most traumatic experience
0: of her. Just the worst thing that has happened to a dog kind.
1: Yeah. So, just, people are just walking by. It's a crowded New York City street in the middle of the day, and then all of a sudden, they have to watch a dog, eviscerate itself to take a shit.
0: <laughs> just turn itself right inside out. Just good
1: stuff. Like an alien chestburster burster, springing <laughs> forth from her tiny butthole an experience. Wow, it's been five minutes of talking about my dog's asshole. This is... (laughs) This is the content that you came for. I mean, if she keeps this up, like, I'm gonna have some stories. This is whatever whatever dump my dog takes tomorrow is gonna be my own personal dog shit Vietnam so <laughs> check my Twitter for updates.
0: It's at, at very bad llama <laughs> good, good we're gonna plug that blow by blow Chihuahua dumps
1: <laughs> right, well in in non- Chihuahua sphincter related news um, <laughs> that's a phrase you can never unsay. <laughs> Uh, this is uh, part two of our Grace Marks story. If if you know, yay! This this whole conversation. Nothing, no
0: classier to intro to a to an infamous murder case co- covered by the greats of Canadian literature.
1: Yeah. Now that we've now that we've gotten all the necessary discussion of the dog's bowels out of the way, we can get <laughs> into what this pot, what you really came for. Which is murder. Blood. (laughs) Blood. Um, Blood. Gallons of the stuff. That's a reference that will make some of you sad and some of you baffled. (laughs) A significant amount of our audience is in the 40 plus demographic and you didn't understand any of that. (laughs)
0: yeah that was a very specific era of janelle's childhood
1: i i I was hoping this wouldn't turn into a personal attack on me but it has (laughs) all right i see i see how this is right well in other people that make poor decisions uh we're gonna we're gonna head into the other testimony um so last week i don't know when you're listening to this it could have been five minutes ago for all we know um, whenever you listen there to part one. There is no one, such
0: thing as time.
1: There is not. There is only the gaping eye of a dog's ass. <laughs> I didn't want this to be the framing device for this episode. I didn't want this to be the theme. But sometimes we get the themes we deserve.
0: <laughs> sometimes life gets out of your control. Yeah,
1: this went way out of control. So last week, we kind of looked at Grace's version of the events. She gave this very long. Very detailed account of what she said went down in the days and weeks leading up to the murders. And this week, we're going to take a look at what her co-defendant, James McDermott, said went down when he threw her directly under the bus. Spoiler
0: alert, they did not agree on what exactly happened Mm -mm. the day of
1: the murders. No, no they do not. Uh, Which kind of makes it complicated, because like we mentioned in the earlier episode, we're living in the pre-forensics era, so there's about as much evidence in this case as there is, like, the last time you and your sibling went like, he did it, no, she did it in childhood. That's pretty much... He said,
0: she said. That's where we're going.
1: Yeah, it's the last time your kids argued about who ate the last cookie, except in this case, you have to murder one or both of them.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, the cookies were people... And one of your children needs to be hung. executed in the public space. Yes,
1: square. one of your children will be hung. Man, we're, just, we're not doing well with framing devices this no, week. This is not a no, good... This, this, is, just... this is getting gruesome. Oh my god, alright. Off the topic of murdering children. Um, and onto the topic of murdering the middle-aged. Um, Way better. So, the tone of James McDermott's confession in general is a lot different from Grace's. Because for one thing, it is much shorter... And it is much less detailed. Like, if it seemed like Grace was odd in that she didn't have any real motive for what went down, James McDermott is like interviewing a tree by comparison. He's taciturn to a fault. So, in the proceedings, he was described as if you're curious about whether James McDermott was hot or not, slim, middle height, with rather a swarthy complexion, which is unusual for an Irishman. And a sullen, downcast, and forbidden forbidding countenance. So he's explicitly
0: Janelle's type.
1: no, he's he's I like them taller than that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was a faint defense. I of don't your have any other. Personal I, taste. I don't have any <laughs> other objection. Solid ooh Tell me more (laughs) Kill two people Go on
1: I wanted to make a defense And then I was like Nope Can confirm Would bang James McDermott
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't even think about it
1: (laughs) The court also noted that Quote He did not seem In the least degree Dismayed during the whole proceedings
0: He's just like Ho hum This (laughs) or the mall (laughs) Yeah.
1: It was it was this or cleaning the shoes, so I think I came out ahead here. <laughs> Buffing the saddles or getting sentenced to die. I mean, really, either way. Ho-hum. Killing an afternoon. Um, so, at the time, that was not a pun. <laughs> I can still enjoy it as a pun. Oh, no. Death of the author, Janelle. <laughs> this is not a film theory podcast, <laughs> and I refuse to make it one. Neither of us is Lindsay Ellis, and neither of us ever will be. I mean, until my plan is in place. Don't steal Lindsay Ellis' face. (laughs) I cannot emphasize that enough. She's still using it. It's not your turn yet. We already kind of discussed this in the previous episode, but as a refresher, James McDermott was a 20-year-old Irishman who had immigrated to Canada six years previously. We already kind of touched on his military background earlier. And I do have a correction to make from the previous episode. James McDermott and Grace were actually both Irish Protestants, not Irish Catholics. But I get a mulligan, or I get to forgive myself for making that mistake, because it turns out that all of the newspapers and all the reporting of the era just went ahead and said that both of them were Catholic, because it literally just wanted more reasons for people to hate them. And also, anti-Irish sentiment of the day just assumed that all Irish were Catholic.
0: Mmm. So, it's not you making a mistake out of bigotry and ignorance. It's other people making a mistake out of bigotry and ignorance. I was.
1: Excellent. Baptized Skates. Catholic. How is that. How am I anti Catholic?
0: <laughs> I don't know. He always just seemed shifty and Protestant to me.
1: <laughs> See, now that's hate
0: speech. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Examples. <laughs> this is not. See, I, 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 I also have a correction to make. Oh, no. And that correction is that, in fact,. The reason why they're called Upper Canada and Lower Canada is because the British are weird about map making, and they do it entirely based on who is up upriver and who is downriver. But I'm still gonna insist that there was still a little part of them that just hated the French that much.
1: I'm still gonna call it Sideways Canada and Different Sideways Canada. <laughs> Because
0: Canada right and Canada left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this makes more sense to me. Um, so this is Canada left. Um, it it turns out I I went down this Wikipedia rabbit hole way further than I should have. It turns out that Protestants and Catholics have a much more complicated relationship in early Canada than they have literally anywhere else. In that it wasn't really so much about who was Protestant and who was Catholic, as much as it was everyone just hated the French and the Irish. <laughs>
0: It wasn't the Catholicism.
1: <laughs> yeah, and despite the fact that the French and the Irish in Canada were both overwhelmingly Catholic groups, to the extent that, like, most Catholic dioceses in modern day Canada are dominated and founded by the irish to this day they just they fucking hated each other (laughs) the to the extent that there wasn't
0: even inter-catholic solidarity no
1: no the irish catholics tended to pair up with protestant english people when it came time to shit on the french everyone hated the irish (laughs) all of the time but when the irish had to pick sides between two people who hated them they sided with the protestants against (laughs) the french it's it's fascinating
0: which is amazing, because, like, the French in this context are the ones who are, like, not actively oppressing them.
1: No, the, the French are just sort of chilling in lower Canada, just being downriver, I guess. Frenching it just up. Frenching it up, but, uh, no, the French apparently declared themselves to be basically God's chosen people, I think was the exact words. And they considered mm. them. they considered Catholics to be God's chosen people, and they considered themselves to be the only true Catholics, which I feel like is a bold claim to make when you mm. follow a religion that is physically based in Italy
0: yeah, yeah. I feel like the Italians
1: like... might have some thoughts about that but they considered uh, French Canadian Catholics to be the only true Catholics and th- well yeah well. that's that's some mental gymnastics there's wow
0: that, that, is, that is some six shades of we are God's only children
1: yeah you I mean French Canadians you can claim poutine That's all yours. You can have that. Ice hockey if you want it. Ice hockey if you want it. You can make a legitimate claim to that. You can make a pretty legitimate claim to maple syrup. You can't really make a claim to salvation exclusively. (laughs) Um, It's a bit of a stretch. (laughs) Yeah, actually, when you really research it, Canada has a strange relationship with religion overall. Despite what you might think, Canada is a more religious nation than the United States in a lot of ways, in that a higher percentage of Canadians are religious. Mm. The, around 31% of Americans are atheists, according to the latest polls, but less than 25% of Canadians identify as uh, atheist or non-religions. While there are fewer non-religious Canadians, the degree to which people are religious in Canada and the U.S. is very different. So there's fewer people in the U.S. who identify as religious, but the ones who identify as religious tend to be very religious. Mm -hmm. Whereas Canadians tend to be religious in the sense that they are willing to check off a census box to say that they are religious. And for many Canadians, that's about the extent of their religious participation.
0: Mm -hmm. So intensity versus identification. Quantity, yeah, basically.
1: Canada is full of people who are Catholic in name only and then virulently support abortion and socialism, so...
0: As is the Catholic way. (laughs) We have a complicated
1: relationship with the Catholic Church, which is Canada's, as I mentioned before, Canada's primary religion, even among, uh... Not uh, entirely among the English-speaking, but even, there are quite a few English-speaking Catholics in Canada as well. So yeah, Canada has always had a complicated relationship with religion, but... uh, At the time, there was a weird blend of anti-Irish and anti-Catholic sentiment that culminated in false reports of Grace Marks. Basically, the Catholics don't like each other. They don't like the Protestants. The Protestants don't like the Catholics, but everybody hates the Irish. It's like
0: like a weird, like, logic puzzle.
1: Oh, yeah. The- (laughs) and the shortcut is hate the irish that's the only thing you need to know
0: that's that's the that's the that's the punctuation point that's the period it's that's the, shortcut. the summary at the bottom of that's, that's 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 the key to unlocking the whole thing that is the
1: konami code of early canada just hate the irish
0: <laughs> up up down 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 with the irish
1: <laughs> grace and james were guilty in the court of public opinion long before their trial actually concluded to the extent that papers were willing to just actually make up details about their lives or to really play up details of their lives in order to make them more unlikable. I mean, James McDermott was given less sympathy in the press than Grace was because he was older and because he was a man, but he's still a 20-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. Like, you shouldn't let a 20-year-old kid borrow your car, and we probably shouldn't even let them choose their own college majors. And yet he's being held responsible to a much greater degree than 16-year-old Grace is. When they're not that far apart in age,
0: to to a degree, like that has to do with like, just like how what what age was considered like adult responsibility at the time. But it's also just very much a um a, a gendered view on justice and like the degree to which like women are not considered capable of violence.
1: Yeah, which is gonna color this entire case. Also, uh, James and Grace's Irish identity was heavily heavily played up. Every time this case was mentioned, the fact that they were Irish was brought up. But actually, they came to Canada, both of them as children. Grace was 12, and James was 14. And after arriving, James had served in Canadian military service for a number of years.
0: And, like, a huge chunk of the population here is foreign-born.
1: Oh, yeah, a lot of them are English and Scottish-born. That has
0: been the truth of Canada for, like, a very long time.
1: Yeah, most of them are British-born, many people are French-born, many people are Scottish-born... Uh, this is a time when they have many uh, Eastern European-born people and uh, Ukrainians are coming over. Not that anybody liked them either, but that's kind of James's background. Um, everything is stacked against him. Everybody thinks that he's sullen and downcast and that he shows no remorse, which, I mean, maybe he was sullen and downcast and showed no remorse. And they're also reporting that he's a dirty Irish Catholic and that he's a mm. filthy immigrant and that he deserves to hang. His confession differs from Grace's in a number of ways, but notably... He claims that Grace and Nancy did not get along and often quarreled, which is something that is completely absent from Grace's confession. Grace says that- Yeah, like,
0: that's, like, at least two emotions. I don't know if Grace is capable of that.
1: I mean, yeah, that's- that's too much. She's capable of dislike. I thought she was just going through life like a murderous Roomba. <laughs> which has gotta be a serial killer nickname at some point. <laughs> the Roomba. The Roomba. Just bumping into people and killing them. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do stairs though. They're one weakness. Both,
0: mostly, mostly through stabs to the ankles.
1: <laughs> Alright. We're gonna stop talking about this before you get ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've clicked open to eBay in a new tab right now. <laughs> <laughs> but in Grace's confession, she never claimed that her and Nancy had anything but, I don't know, mutual tolerance for each other. The only thing she really mentions about their relationship is that they sleep in the same bed. At Nancy's, a bed. at
0: Nancy's at Nancy's
1: <laughs> request, at Nancy's request, Grace and Nancy shared a bed whenever Thomas was away. But in James, and she mentions, Grace mentions frequently that James and Nancy didn't get along, but in his version, Grace and Nancy don't get along. He says that Grace told him that she intended to poison both Thomas and Nancy by mixing poison into the porridge. He says, quote, I told her I would not consent to anything of the kind. I mean, I don't think she's asking for your consent. This is more just—it sounds like no. a heads up, don't eat the porridge, to me.
0: Mm. I think she's doing it you seems a solid. like, a, yo, buddy, gonna poison Nancy. Maybe skip breakfast. Yeah, this sounds more like a <laughs> have yourself a nice protein scramble.
1: <laughs> It's—it kind of sounds like oatmeal's a...
0: gonna be oatmeal's gonna be funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like disagreeing with a weather forecast. Like, all right, tomorrow's weather is gonna be partly cloudy, and you're like, no, I disagree.
0: Nay. Breakfast is going to be I say. mostly
1: sunny with a chance of poison. Mm. Avoid. Nice.
0: <laughs> sunny with a dash of arsenic.
1: He also says, quote, The housekeeper Nancy, after I had been at the house a short time, was overbearing towards me, and I told Mr. Kinnear I was ready and willing to do any work, and I did not like that Nancy should scold me so often. He said she was the mistress of the house. I then told him I would not stop with them longer than a month. So basically the big discrepancy here is that Grace claims he was fired, and he claims that he quit. Can't fire me, I quit. Classic. Mm. Um, And Mm. in Grace's version, he gets fired by a woman. In this version, he goes to a man and then quits. So, Mm -hmm. take of that what you will.
0: Hmm, in one of them, he comes across as slightly better according to his own perception of masculinity. Strange how that works. Old-timey values. Interesting.
1: Convenient. Mm. Very. McDermott claims that a few days before Kinnear went to town, Grace told him that Nancy had given her warning to leave. So in this version, it's Grace that gets fired with a few days' notice, not McDermott. He claims, quote, She told me, now McDermott, I am not going to leave in this way. Let us poison Mr. Kinnear and Nancy. I know how to do it. He claims that she had a plan to poison the porridge, plunder the house, pack up all their silver and valuables, and then head down to the United States. Um, In this version, there is no mention of the two of them getting married. McDermott says that he refused this plan. So what kind of makes this case so interesting is that they are telling mirror versions of the same events. Yeah. It's like a variation. So these events probably happened. It's just a question of Mm -hmm. who they happened to.
0: Who is experiencing what and who is planning what. Because, like, there's so many similarities between, like, the basic points of the story... It's just what gets muddled is the who and the
1: why. And they didn't have a lot of time to get their story straight. I mean, I assume in the, the one day that they were together, they were too busy fleeing to have a whole lot yeah, of conversation. Yeah, and not expecting
0: to get caught.
1: They were caught at 5 o'clock in the morning, the day after they committed these murders. So, Which is
0: a point of time where I can barely talk, never mind lie.
1: Yeah, and then <laughs> they were promptly put in separate prisons, naturally. And Naturally. these confessions were somehow gleaned from them in prison. They gave these confessions to investigators while in prison. They never had a chance to compare stories. So it, it seems likely that one of them is telling something closer to the truth. But who? Because there's there are quite a few common elements. So he claims that when Kinnear left for the city on Thursday, Grace started immediately packing up the valuables and told him that he was a coward for not assisting her. Seems, like, kinda of premature, Grace. Weirdly
0: assertive.
1: Also, like, Nancy's not even dead yet and you're just packing up her shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, you gotta kill her now because she's definitely gonna notice that you've taken the good yeah, silver. Yeah, that,
0: that's deeply suspicious. <laughs> just, like, walk in like,
1: hey, why are you putting all of my belongings in a box, random servant? <laughs> yep. She claimed that she'd been asked to leave and supposed that she was not going to get her wages for the month. So she was determined to pay herself by stealing their shit, basically. Mm. So she kind of had an excuse for this, like she was owed this. He claims that Grace said, quote, Now is the time to kill the housekeeper and Mr. Kinnear when he returns home, and I'll assist you, and you are a coward if you don't do it. Which seems to be her go-to line here. Very big on hegemonic masculinity.
0: Just 16-year-old Grace Marks just swinging, swinging her alpha status around.
1: Going straight for his balls. His confession says, I frequently refused to do as she wished, and she said I should never have an hour's luck if I did not do as she wished me. Which is, like, the greatest Irish curse ever. You will never have even an hour's luck. Your life will suck. May all of your coffee orders be wrong, and all of your dinners be slightly cold in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, and that's pretty much where the confession ends, though, because after that line, he says... I will not say how Mr. Kinnear and Nancy Montgomery will ki- were killed, but I should not have done it if I had not been urged to do so by Grace Marks. And that's the end of his confession. Really? That's basically where it ends. He he does claim after Interesting. that- He claims that Grace went down to the cellar several times to see Nancy's body and to steal her purse. He also says that he had to persuade her not to steal the earrings right off of her body, which is gold. Whoa. He also claims that Grace gave him some of Kinnear's valuables, like his snuff box, which was found on his person uh, when they were arrested, only after they arrived at Lewiston.
0: No point during the story does he feel the urge to stop her? No. Even though she's dragging him around by the nose like all 16-year-old girl of her? Yeah. No, none nothing? No, he, he says basically, like, it's a look what you made me do defense. Yeah, especially because, like, like I know we don't have exactly advanced forensics during this period,
1: but, like, they weren't poisoned, were they? No. I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> not not that anybody could find out. Also, he kind of admits that he did it. He says, I won't say yeah. how they were killed, but I shouldn't have done it if I had not been urged to do so.
0: Yeah, like, I shouldn't have done it if I, should, if I were not urged
1: to. He's like, I did it. Yeah. Look what you made me do. If not for that saucy temptress, that siren of murder. (laughs) (laughs) The
0: the siren call of a girl with the personality of a wooden duck.
1: (laughs) Being called a coward by a good-looking, illiterate Irish 16-year-old is pretty much where I draw the line. Overpowering. That's all I can... What's a man to do? His confession ends with the line, Grace Marks is wrong in stating she had no hand in the murder. She was the means from the beginning. Then that's it. That's that's,
0: that's pretty good. His confession
1: is a fraction the length of hers. It's just basically, Grace yeah. made me do it. That's all he's got.
0: Yeah, like like hers is the far more detailed. Like detailed to the point of like blow by blow banality. His is very much the broad strokes.
1: She mentions what Thomas Kinnear had for breakfast the day that he died. Yeah, he men- she mentions that he was wearing clothes when he took a nap. Yeah, like, and once he went that he was reading a book and where he left that book and where he went out to the garden and where the bullet ended up when like James shot at her. Like it's all there. She mentions the means of murder. Like I don't even know why he refuses to give that information. They found mm-hmm. the bodies. They know how they died. Like, you don't need a lot of advanced forensics to figure out, like, hit
0: by axe.
1: Yeah, that tends to leave a pretty distinctive wound. You don't find someone who's died from a blow to the head from an axe and go, Mmm. It's just a mystery. Appendix? I don't know. Snake bite? Could be anything, really. What could it be? Indigestion. (laughs) Upset stomach. says. Yeah, but I feel like based on these statements alone, which are the majority of the evidence, there's sort of, if you want to read the original trial transcripts, we'll post them for you. They're not particularly interesting, but they they do call a handful of other witnesses. They're basically just friends and neighbors, people who knew the family, people who knew Nancy, shopkeepers that she did business with, and they just sort of corroborate that these people lived on the farm, that they were servants, that there was something kind of strange about both of them. Although that's not hardly surprising because these are a lot of landed gentry English people who are passing judgment on poor Irish immigrants who they were going to hate anyway.
0: Yeah, like, even if there's no, like, hindsight coloring their opinions here, like, there's a high likelihood of them being biased against them to begin with.
1: Yeah, but this is the only evidence that we really have. Because nobody else witnessed the murders the only people who witnessed the murders are the two co-accused and the two victims. And they're not really going to mm. testify. And these two didn't have character witnesses. Nobody was coming to say what wonderful people they were. That That's not this kind of trial. So this was, the confessions were really the main evidence they had to go on along with the defense lawyer's statements, which we'll kind of get into. But I feel like based on these statements alone, I think any modern competent defense lawyer should have been able to get grace's charges seriously reduced
0: oh absolutely
1: i don't know we have a surprising number of lawyers who listen to this podcast and law students um hi guys hi people but uh maybe they can weigh in on this maybe they'll tell me that i'm completely wrong but i feel like in both versions of events mcdermott is the killer Like, he admits Mm -hmm. that he actually carried out the killings, and I feel like, look what you made me do isn't really a sound legal defense.
0: Yeah, like, there is a degree to which, like, people who are lying tend to be more detailed rather than less, but the person who is, like, most likely to be telling the truth is the one for whom we have the most outside corroboration of her story. Like, we have witnesses, like, the butcher and the bullet lodged in the, the doorframe corroborating grace's version of events
1: and also like i don't know again our lawyer friends who debased themselves by listening to this podcast could can tell me but just utterly
0: shaming themselves and and their profession
1: i feel like it's not that hard to argue that an illiterate 16 year old girl that most people stop short of calling a simpleton could be terrified Into being an accomplice to murder by an older man. That seems like a pretty easy case. Especially when that man admits that he physically did the murders, both of them.
0: But, like, blames it on her for coercing
1: him, but she never had any power over him. These are two people who barely know each other. They met weeks before these murders started, if that.
0: And the power imbalance between like, a 20-year-old man and a 16-year-old girl in a heavily patriarchal society is significant.
1: People aren't really making any statements about James McStermott's intelligence, but people are pretty—I mean, maybe people are being unfair to Grace because she's Irish and because she's a woman, but people are pretty quick to jump on the, like, Grace seems kind of uneducated and maybe not super sharp train. I mean her, mm-hmm. her confession's quite detailed maybe she is actually quite bright and people are being very unfair to her but it just it doesn't seem that hard to argue that a pretty girl was scared of an older man because the only things that she's really accused of in either event is like opening the trap door yeah Which, yeah like, like that you that was wrong you shouldn't have done that you shouldn't have fled to the United States but I feel like you could argue for a lesser charge than murder.
0: Yeah, like at no point is she like an active participant. Yeah. In either of the killings. Like in either version of events, at no point does she actively commit any harm to either victim.
1: Yeah, I mean Grace McDermott Grace McDermott, that would be that's not right. Uh, oh dear. Oh no. Grace Marks. James McDermott did actually amend his confession later. Not to give you a 175-year-old spoiler, but James McDermott uh, was executed for this crime. Gasp. And he, the morning that he was executed... That just completely blows up all of my ships. Oh, I know. Were you shipping them this whole time? (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) I wasn't
0: going for, like, the obvious, like, Marks McDermott ship. Like, that's too banal. I was I was fully on with butcher butcher marks. That was that was that was the ship for me.
1: That might be worse. <laughs> I don't know. At least she knew James McDermott. She just laid eyes on the butcher coming up the driveway and was like, "We don't want any meat, but I want some of yours." <laughs>
0: Wink. No. No. Oh, no. No. I'm
1: purging that from my mind. Um, absolutely not.
0: I was thinking a more innocent summer
1: romance. You don't understand human mating. (laughs) Um, So the morning that James McDermott was executed, he claimed that Grace had gone down to the cellar with a white piece of cloth in a, quote, insensible state, and tied the cloth around Nancy's neck to strangle her while McDermott held Nancy's hands down. Because if you remember... Apparently, the blow to the head from the blunt end of an axe did not kill Nancy, and she was later strangled. In Grace's version of events, he asks Grace for a handkerchief. She says, why the fuck do you want a handkerchief? He says, never mind, Mm. and goes down with a random piece of white cloth to finish her off. In this version, he claims that he threw Nancy down the cellar, and then Grace sort of, like, went ballistic and charged down there with a piece of white cloth to kill her while he held her hands down. So I don't know. I don't know if this is Interesting. if this is like his his last ditch attempt to save himself and, and make her more culpable, even more culpable in the murders than she already was. Because spoiler alert, again, uh, Grace did not hang for this; only James did. Um, I don't know if this was like his final "fuck you" to Grace. It's weird that he would leave this out, especially because it's so incredibly incriminating, and it feels like this would have done mm-hmm. a lot more good if you'd said it at the trial.
0: Yeah, like, like his initial story, like, doesn't fully implicate her. This would, if, if it happened, like, would be far stronger and would be a weird detail to leave out. Like, that's pretty vivid as an image. Yeah. Like, it's similar to, like, the pearl, like like, stealing the earrings right off her.
1: It, yeah, it just seems odd that his the whole point of his confession was like, This was Grace's fault, but he would leave Honk Honk and you go Gracie. But he would leave an incredibly incriminating detail like that out until Super weird. the eleventh hour. It just it feels very strange for him to specifically like protect Grace by admitting omitting that detail. But absolutely spent his entire confession being like, she's a guilty, devious murderess. It's inconsistent. Um, I actually did some research on this, and Googling the answer to this question almost definitely put me on some kind of watch list. But it is actually incredibly rare for women to commit. <sighs> We're already all. Out oh of the watch my list. god, the government is watching me Google. But it's incredibly rare for women to commit murder by strangulation. I think we probably touched on this in the Phantom of Heilbronn episode that we did. Strangling a person to death is incredibly hard to do and takes. Quite a bit of physical strength. It takes a ton of manual energy. You have something- And- Yeah.
0: It's very up close and personal.
1: It's extremely up close and personal. You've got to actually watch your victim die. And, uh, spoiler alert, it takes a long time to strangle
0: somebody. It does. Like, they fight back and, like, the body does not immediately run out of oxygen.
1: No, and your, um, trachea- Like, your body really doesn't want your windpipe to collapse because then you die. So your trachea is actually much harder to crush than you would think. And also, like, most of you... It's a
0: tough bit of cartilage.
1: Not all of you, but most of you have a bone in your throat called your hyoid. It's the only bone in your body that is not connected to another bone. And it's, it's the bone that kind of helps... hyoid's connected to... Nothing. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is educational. That bone is usually crushed in victims of strangulation. And, like, to physically crush a throat bone is a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. Um, women actually much 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 more likely to kill by asphyxiation rather than strangulation so this is basically this is
0: pillow versus like throttling. this is
1: pillow versus face basically but they typically Mm -hmm. choose weaker victims who can be asphyxiated to death because the average person i mean it's very hard to asphyxiate a healthy adult with a pillow yeah like asphyxiation takes even longer if that's possible and it's You've got to do this to somebody who physically can't fight back because, I mean, the escape to asphyxiation. Nobody has their hands physically wrapped around your throat. You you can get your hands up and sort of push somebody off or like turn, mm-hmm. turn your head. You asphyxiate young children, the infirm and the elderly. And that is who women typically choose as murder victims.
0: And generally speaking, they know those victims as well. Yes. Or at the very least, they have
1: day-to-day access to them. Um, So this is a fucked up thing that you probably never, ever needed to learn in your entire life. But ligature strangling is actually uh, easier because it causes the victim to struggle a lot less. You struggle a lot more through manual strangulation than ligature strangulation. And this is counterintuitive, but manual strangulation only partially closes your airway, especially in the beginning. Mm. Ligature strangulation completely closes your airway quickly.
0: Hands are not necessarily the best tool for the job.
1: No, and you are more likely to fight back because when you only have a partial airway, your body enters something called air hunger. It
0: freaks the fuck out. It does.
1: So your body panics much more when you have a little bit of air than when you have absolutely no air. So when you have no air, your body gives up quite quickly and you don't have a panic response in the same way. When you have a little bit of air, you freak the fuck out. It's called air hunger, and it's the reason that things like waterboarding are torture. It's mm-hmm. because your body is in a constant state of absolute panic.
0: This is the this is the biological equivalent of <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a
1: <laughs> fucking car alarm going off in your brain whereas when you completely lose it is access a to air, you just kind of like quickly pass out. That's mm-hmm. that's it. Um there is no way to ever bring this information up in casual conversation without looking like a fucking serial killer. But there you go. Ligature strangulation causes victims to struggle less than uh, manual strangulation, even if they take the same amount of time. I mostly know this through having asthma. <laughs> yeah, this is actually why people... This is,
0: this is why uh, asthma is heavily correlated with very severe anxiety.
1: Yeah, uh, a- asthma attacks are actually more likely to cause PTSD than a car accident. This is also the real like the main reason why we keep people who are dying of lung cancer or other form anything that causes them to not be able to breathe well um, conditions like emphysema uh, It's the reason we keep those people doped to the gills in late stages because it's not because of the pain you can give people pain medication. They're doped up on anxiety medication because otherwise they would be having a constant full-blown panic attack because they're not getting enough oxygen.
0: Just the flow to their brain is insufficient not to constantly be triggering this response, unless they're heavily doped.
1: So that's kind of fun. That's a fun... It's Uh also the same reason that uh, EpiPens are idiot-proof. Because Mm -hmm. there's no way... um, When... This is a complete tangent now, but I'm I'm almost out of notes anyway. People were when the when the price of epipens was jacked up to six hundred dollars in the United States not too long ago, a lot of people were suggesting that instead of buying epipens, people go for a cheaper alternative, which is just to buy um, epinephrine. I believe is the is the drug inside of an mm-hmm. epipen, and uh, cheap syringes and just basically give themselves an old school injection of epinephrine. And the reason that you can't do that is because um, you can't do that when you're having a panic attack, which you are. No. When anaphylaxis sets in. Like, you are
0: not in a mental place for that.
1: The reason that the EpiPen's mechanism is aim the orange bit towards yourself and then just stab yourself. As hard as you mm-hmm. can. Through your clothing. EpiPens don't require you to remove your clothes. You you literally just aim for your You can thumb. go right through. You just whack yourself in the thigh with the orange bit as hard as you possibly can. Because that's the only cognition you're capable of in that state. Yeah. You are not going to draw out the correct Panic dose. Panic
0: stabbing is, is is basically what you're capable
1: of. That's all you're going to be able to do. There's no way you can measure out the correct dosage of epinephrine. And with a syringe, calmly. There's not a, not a chance. So, absolutely not that's kind of a fun that's a fun thing about oxygen starvation and if somebody else tries to give
0: this to you like in a calm way you're gonna end up stabbing them
1: <laughs> oh yeah there's no way anybody uh, uh, trained nurses would struggle to administer yeah, like, this, is,
0: this is for the same reason why you're like you're not supposed to help a drowning person if they're panicking
1: oh yeah because they will absolutely drown you
0: they were go- they're gonna climb you like a tree <laughs> in the middle of a lake your own
1: mother will drown you absolutely if If she's drowning and you try to rescue her, she will drag you under under the water it's mm-hmm. it's a it's the most base survival state that you can be in is air hunger so that's a that's a fun piece of information that you can never unknow and now you get to bring that up at inappropriate times at cocktail parties and networking events for the rest of your life so we have doomed you to a life of failure enjoy having no friends but us <laughs> You need us now. Perfect. So we'll kind of get into the trial and the aftermath. Grace and James' trials, I've already alluded to this, were the trials of the century at the time. This is one of the most famous cases in all of Upper Canada. We
0: have one of those every other decade. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, we do. Uh, but we, sometimes we have them just a couple years apart. Mm. What was our last one? Trial
0: of the century, but we mean it. Was it Casey
1: Anthony? Is that our last trial of the century?
0: I have no idea.
1: Probably Casey Anthony and OJ, but those happened like t- 15 years apart. so mm. or 10 years apart. So we're all we're chock full of trials of the century. We're all full up. I feel like it's worth pointing out that Grace's involvement is the only reason anyone gives a shit about this trial. Men kill people, men kill other men all the time. Men kill women all the time and nobody cares. Constantly. They only care because, one, there's a woman involved, and two, the press went out of their way to depict these two as lovers. And everybody fucking loves that shit.
0: Oh, Bonnie and Clyde would not be nearly as famous if they'd just been two dudes who happened to rob, like, happened to rob Babel. Absolutely not.
1: The adventures of kind of a dick named Clyde. Yeah. Yeah. No. Whoa. No one cares. No,
0: it's the lover's angle that really gets people going about it, that really add, adds in that extra spice. It's basically the reason why Hollywood always has a rote, boring love love interest in every single film. That's the reason for the, the romantic
1: sub uh, subplot. Well, and we're kind of fascinated by heinous crimes committed by two people. Mm-hmm. We're really fascinated with these complicated, fucked up, destructive relationships. Yeah. The reason that Columbine is still the the school shooting that we're the most fascinated with isn't because they had the highest body count because they didn't. No. It's because it's the two of them did it together, and the two of them planned it together for months. It's that relationship. It's part of a thing where,
0: like, we always assume that, like, madness is supposed to be a singular thing. Violence is supposed to have a reason when it's done by multiple people. It's supposed to be logical if it has any broader consensus. The idea of one person alone committing a heinous act isn't that strange to people. But the idea of two people being equally convinced of a warped reality where what they do is right, like, that's far more fascinating. But
1: just the idea that one person could coerce another into mm-hmm. committing a murder. Just just what... It's it's a kind of intimacy that most of us will never achieve and shouldn't achieve. Like, this is not a fucking relationship goal. Mm. Not hashtag goals. Do not meet somebody who drives you to commit murder. But... Yeah, it's a, in general. It's a relationship but that... But it's an yeah.
0: intensity that most people are not familiar with. And most people cannot imagine, no matter how much they love somebody or hate somebody, they cannot imagine helping them commit a murder.
1: Yeah, most people will never, ever have that kind of relationship where the two of you commit a murder together. That's just not going to happen.
0: Just, if, if only for demographic reasons.
1: Yeah, and we're, we're just doubly fascinated by women. Like, all the articles at the time called this a did she or didn't she. They never called it a did he or didn't he. He fucking no, admitted to it. No, they assumed he had. He admitted to it, she admitted, she blamed him for it, and yet everyone was saying, was she involved or wasn't she involved? Nobody. No, because that was the question
0: they were interested in. Yeah, no
1: one gives a shit if a stable boy goes off the rails and murders his employer. It's when you get the apparently foxy Grace Marks.
0: They're like, Dad, that's just a regular risk of, of, of employing the Irish, apparently. No, it's, it's the 16-year-old girl angle that they find interesting.
1: And this is true to this day. We heap disproportionate amount of attention on female murderers, especially women who mm-hmm. kill healthy adult victims. Like, there's been tons of angels of death, uh, nurses who fly off the rails and... Uh, murder their patients out of a misplaced sense of mercy. But serial killers like Eileen Wernos, who kill mm-hmm. just healthy adults that they don't know, we're so fascinated with them.
0: Yes, because, like, it, it flies in the face of our stereotypes about gender and
1: violence. On a very real level, we do not expect women to kill. No, when they do kill, like every now and then, you know, we get stories of women who go nuts and they drown their kids in a bathtub. That's the kind of murder that we expect from women. It's not, like, mm-hmm. if that's not right and people should not drown their kids in a bathtub. But when that happens... Mm-hmm.
0: That is the strong moral stance we are taking on this It's podcast. a controversial
1: stance, but I will stick by it. But we're not super surprised. We're not, like... No. We, we condemn it and we absolutely don't tolerate it, but we're not, like, holy shit, like, it's the end of the world. We're we're kind of like all yeah, right. We
0: know what, we know what postpartum depression is. We know that people sometimes go a little bit nutty when they're like left alone with three kids and very little social support.
1: Yeah, but women don't often slap the handle and murder the shit out of their boss. That's not that's not something that really happens. I can't even no. think of an example. I mean, Eileen Werno's no, I'm not going to make that comparison. She was she was killing men who paid her, but I wouldn't call them her employers. No.
0: <laughs> this is not this is not an affi- it's more of a clientele relationship.
1: It's not exactly not the like the typical 9 to 5. Not the same. And also, like, Eileen Wernos, man, I'm just gonna go right into the deep end here. Eileen Wernos at least kind of had this narrative that she produced about being abused and being in fear of her life, which is not hard to believe when you're a sex worker who's constantly dealing with truck drivers. Grace, at no point in her own statements in which she, like, admits to involvement in this. At no point does she claim... It would have been so easy for her to claim that she was being abused. So easy. It would have been really easy to say that yeah. they were abusive to her. People people weren't stupid. They know what went on in their friends' and family's homes. They know that people were abusive to the servants. Yeah. And it would have been really easy for her to say that this middle-aged man and his mistress, who were already flaunting the moral code of the day by having an affair with each other, were doing some fucked-up shit to her. But at no point... Does she actually paint them as bad people? No. So this is she doesn't even baffling. she doesn't even claim to dislike no, them. No, she doesn't, and she like it she doesn't make any mention of being fired in her story. James McDermott claims that she was, but who knows? Yeah, like if anything,
0: like his like his his confession shows far more like social savvy about how like
1: how, how they motives were work
0: perceived.
1: people are not and how motives work. People are not just roombas who blindly go from thing to thing just doing whatever even
0: grace does not give us any discernible motive like she doesn't even claim that like mcdermott like she doesn't even seem to understand that like anything he did was coercive
1: grace seems to live in a bad version of the sims where she just sort of does things because
0: like some somebody deleted like the the ladder and she's just swimming around the pool for the next five hours. that's basically it like that's that's grace she desperately wants to go to work, but somebody put like a dirty dish down in front of the in in front of the so doorway. So she just can't go. She can't, go. She can't it.
1: do it. She is she is a sim, uh, in her confession. But the reason, the other reason people were so fascinated by this was that this is basically a fucking horror movie for them. This is already a time mm-hmm. when people were uneasy about having live-in servants already. So this trial is basically like when we feel uneasy about sleepaway camps, so we make Friday the Thirteenth.
0: Yeah, like, this is this is hitting every upper-middle-class button the reading public has over, like, why they find their servants on line.
1: Yeah, we mentioned this in the previous episode, and probably numerous episodes, because I find this fascinating, but people are drawn to consume horror when things are shitty. We specifically seek out horror literature and movies... To cope with things that we're afraid of. So people were just drawn to this. It's a
0: way of alleviating anxiety by consuming it and considering it in a safe environment.
1: Oh, yeah, so all these people who were just sort of worried that this servant girl they occasionally beat was going to rise up and stab them in their sleep were just glued to this. And I'm not saying that Grace Marks was single handedly responsible for the invention of the Mixmaster. But she definitely contributed, because after the Grace Marks case, fewer people wanted to have live-in servants.
0: You're welcome, Whirlpool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, that's, the, the disdain for servants and the desire to have these goddamn Irish out of your goddamn house was the reason we invented things like washing machines, so that we could only, we could turn our wives into unpaid slave labor instead of having... Paid Irish people. I don't know. No, no part of that is good. The past is
0: yeah. It's it's not a. The past is another country, and it's a terrible. It's country. a mixed bag of
1: horrors. It's a banana republic. It's not good. This story basically is everything you could ever want because they have an illicit affair between Kinnear and his pregnant mistress Nancy. You have an illicit affair between Grace and James as runaway lovers. You have sex, violence, and class warfare. Yeah, and I can't remember if I mentioned this in the previous episode or not, but during Nancy's autopsy, it was discovered that she was pregnant at the time of her death. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you have sex, pregnancy, illicit affairs, murder, the poor rising up against their overlords. Like, this is this is entertaining shit. This is mm-hmm. le miserables for it's people who... this
0: breach of all of these taboos.
1: Yeah, like, this is basically a Victor Hugo novel. What more do you want? But,
0: like, without, like, a weird out of place entire chapter on Parisian street slang.
1: And also I think fewer people die.
0: Yeah, slightly fewer people die. I
1: mean four I mean, three out of the four people in the proportion. house die, but that's still fewer than a Victor Hugo novel. Victor
0: Hugo, he he kills a lot of people. <laughs> like you 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 were telling me about how you're watching the the Hunchback of Notre Dame and like See the heart. It's that's based off a of Hugo no- novel, and you'd be like, you might be thinking if you watched that as a kid, it'd be like, oh, well, that has a happy ending. No. Yeah. It doesn't. It has a much happier ending than the original
1: novel. Holy shit! Everyone dies. I watched uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame for the first time the other day because I was bored and because my parents never allowed me to watch it as a child because I don't know they thought it's a disturbing movie. Yeah, I kind of get it now. I can't believe that we showed that to children. What were parents thinking in 1996 as their six-year-old is just enraptured by a scene where a man tells a fire wench that he is going to burn women unless they agree to be his? What? Holy crap. It's literally just a story about misogyny and genocide set to an upsettingly loud soundtrack of chamber choir music.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, it it is Disney's take... On racism and 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 victim blaming and rape culture, it's it's disturbing, right? Like, like it's naturally very heavy subject matter.
1: Modern kids have like Moana; she's bopping around on her island, she's singing "Consider the Coconut." She's got her pet chicken, and then like kids in 1996 had like Quasimodo holding Esmeralda's like unconscious form aloft. Over the city of Paris, while the background music is just like da 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 da, <laughs> like, and the entire city is burning. Yeah, the whole city's on fire, and he's just like holding her corpse aloft, screaming "Sanctuary!" at an indifferent sky. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why did we do these things? Anyway, that was a that's a that's a that's a whole thing. I have many thoughts about the hunt track of Notre Dame, but in the original, everybody dies. Everybody dies. Everybody. Nobody survives. Everybody. Nobody survives Victor Hugo novels. So this is basically a Victor Hugo novel. This is this is mm-hmm. a weird roundabout ex- exploration of class warfare. They turned it into a Victor Hugo novel.
0: Mm-hmm. Like this is this is this is an old version of of the Scream movies.
1: In reality, like, it is an
0: expression of the anxieties of the time.
1: Yeah, they turned it into this like. Uh, the first sign of the uprising of the oppressed. In reality, it's probably just a pissed off servant clocking the employer and stealing their shit before they can be fired. That's the core of what went down here, but they turned it into like, oh god, the poor are on to us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which, larger social
0: narrative, we're all going to die.
1: Yeah, so in the trial, their defense lawyer, they were both represented by the same person, which is a terrible idea. Probably would never have been allowed in modern court. Again, no. our lawyer friends can weigh in on that, but I feel like that's not allowed.
0: Especially not because like they're a kind of against each other. Yeah,
1: so originally they were going to be tried together, which and he requested mm. Kenneth McKenzie, Esquire requested that they be tried separately, which makes sense because their defense strategy was just to accuse the other one of the crime. Um, Mm. The judge agreed, and they both pleaded not guilty to the charges. One of the most interesting things about the trial, which you can kind of miss if you're just skimming the confession, is that while reading the indictment, a panic broke out that the floor of the courthouse was collapsing, and everybody rushed to the door. It wasn't. It was not collapsing. Everyone just convinced themselves that the floor was collapsing. Huh. Yeah, no, wasn't at weird. all. Weird.
0: So, like, this odd moment of quasi-panic in the middle of sentencing.
1: Yeah, there used to be a lot more mold in people's bread, and it made people do weird things. I don't know what the hell was going mm. on. But after they all calmed the fuck down, they noticed that McDermott had not been bothered in the slightest by this entire thing. <sighs> That's what they mean when his demeanor was just completely blank. He just sat there. who was, like, freaking out that the the courthouse was collapsing. They all needed to get out, and he was just kind of like, but. nah, it's fine. I embrace death whatever. So he was basically a proto- It's
0: easier than walking down the stairs. He was like a
1: proto-millennial. He's like, you know what? I choose death. That's fine. It's take me. <laughs> um, yeah, that that
0: nihilistic young person humor.
1: Yeah. At the trial, they also revealed how the body had been discovered. A man named James Newton had been expecting to meet Kinnear at Kinnear's house on Sunday morning. When he showed up, the place was deserted and the horse and buggy were gone. Weird. Yeah, he thought that was weird. He noticed blood on the kitchen floor, and this is my favorite Favorite historical detail. Didn't bother him because he was like, ah, oh, that's probably chicken blood. This was an era when people just had blood on the floor. It's
0: kinda of like how like during the Whitechapel murders, like it was really hard to figure out where the murderer had gone. Just because Whitechapel at the time was the meat packing dick And it was filthy 100 like, percent of just, the time. It was just filthy 100 percent of the time. it was just like it was just normal for like not only for like blood to run the streets, but just like tons of men just Covered in blood wandering around, going about their
1: days. <laughs> There's just loose entrails everywhere. <laughs>
0: like just the smell would have been amazing.
1: Like, oh god.
0: You think modern New York has a smell. Mm, and it does. That's a smell with personality. Not just personality, but taste and preference. I don't know. You you were here in the wintertime. That is a smell that can I was there in early spring. Like that is a smell that can own property.
1: Oh, that that's a smell that has an okay Cupid profile. And
0: that is a that is an aroma that is capable of independently filing taxes.
1: It has a, a Fitbit and hopes and dreams,
0: all <laughs> <laughs> the things that make a man. It, it is career ambitions and tenure. <laughs> I will say though that you
1: were here in the early spring, uh, late February kind of ish time. Oh yeah. This yeah. is my summer. My f- I,
0: I bet it's pungent. Oh, this is my
1: first summertime in New York City. The thing about New York City is that the buildings and the sidewalk trap heat. So unlike a humane, sane mm. place where sane people live, the temperature doesn't really fluctuate from day to night at all. The sun going down is no relief because the sidewalk keeps baking <laughs> you. So, Because the city itself is just radiating absorbed heat. Yeah. So it was approximately 36 degrees for a number of days. Garbage day in 36 <sighs> degree heat in New York City was the worst day of my life. Every... <sighs> every grocery store and deli in the neighborhood and fish market because I live near several fish markets uh they, you don't really know when the garbage truck's gonna come around that reliably. So they all just heaped spoiled produce and fish and meat on the curbs in 36 degree mm. heat in a densely packed neighborhood. That is a temperature at which trash becomes liquid. To just bake in the sun. You just walk by. Never mind. That is a temperature at which I become liquid. Oh yeah, I've I don't know how I made it through. Canadians just denature into a loose bag of nucleotides above 35. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I st- my my proteins start to become unspun. I just, I'm not okay. Like, I, I've been, i been, this is my first summer in Vancouver and I'm not fine. <laughs> yeah, New York
1: is extra not fine. I don't know why they classify the city as cold. It's not. Summer in New York City is miserable. You, like, you have all these grand plans to do things, but then ultimately you just spend a lot of time lying face down on the kitchen floor and hoping for death. <laughs> but- <laughs> just
0: just drooling drooling around the ice cubes shoved into your mouth <laughs> yeah we have
1: air conditioning and we're too poor to run it it's the ultimate New York experience but every now and then you're just minding your own business in New York City and then you come to like New York City Trash piles are not like two bags of trash on the curb. It's like a no. six foot high wall of trash. Like we're keeping the goddamn fucking like, white walkers out. We're defending the fucking north here.
0: <laughs> yeah, like 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 that was that was the thing that really amazed me is just like just like small trash mountains. Like I remember when I was a little Canadian child when like every once in a while the snow plow would come by and like mash all the dirty snow and the cul de sac into a big old big old mountain in the middle.
1: Mm. And like
0: sometimes kids would like take sleds out and like sled down them. Yes. I have fond Don't memories of you this. Know roughly the size of the trash heaps I saw in New York in, in New York City blocks. Oh yeah,
1: like like it was amazing. John Snow needs to come like, defend do- our trash walls. Like it's incredible. Do, do, do urban kids just, like, have trash
0: fights instead of snowball God, fights? I hope
1: not.
0: I don't even understand how, like, it's just an entirely different ecosystem.
1: Yeah, that's... Mm. And they're
0: all filled with rats.
1: Oh, yeah. If, I'm gonna does. say, like, letting your kids play in a trash pile is a great way to save money on private school tuition, because you no longer have children. Oh, boy.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the rats
1: have taken them. Oh, God, yes. They are feral now. <laughs> it's better this way. Um, but yeah, so back to these murders, the guy thought that the house being deserted and having the horse and buggy gone was kind of odd, so he started asking around to the neighbors who came over to help him search the place, and eventually somebody opened the cellar, and that's kind of that. Oh boy. Yeah, not good. When it was revealed at trial that Nancy Montgomery was pregnant at the time of her death, that's also what really ramped the coverage up to Mm. next level, because killing a woman was already pretty frowned upon, but killing a, pregnant, killing a woman,
0: pregnant woman I mean it still
1: is it's kind of next level that's kind of like
0: yeah like it's one of the reasons why like that's always mentioned when like there are casualties though like they'll mention like six people including a pregnant woman
1: and then we're all like ah oh, like, no like it's oh, it makes no. it just this emotional response that makes it so much worse mm-hmm. so and it it makes you hate the person who did it a lot more and that was the case yeah
0: it has a particular intensity
1: mm-hmm so, both of the defendants were ultimately found guilty of murder, which is interesting when their defense is that they blamed each other. Mm-hmm. So, I guess the judge believed both of them or neither That's- of them.
0: <laughs> Depending on who you ask. Yeah, that is a fascinating strategy. Mm-hmm. That-, that backfired.
1: Yeah, Grace fainted when her sentence was read. Uh, she's actually said to have fainted quite often in life, which is a sort of mm-hmm. what women did to express emotion at the time. That has nothing to do with working them 14 hours a day and malnourishing. And just lace yourself up like a big uncomfortable shoe. Although I think we're past the corset age in 1840. I don't
0: know. Yeah, I mean, like, all throughout history, women's underwear have been, like, torture devices and occasionally, like, active active murders, murderers of their wearers. So, like, I don't know.
1: You're also wearing 37 layers of clothing in, you know, 37 degree heat. So, mm. <clears throat> who knows? But, uh, the jury recommended leniency for Grace because of her age, although McDermott wasn't really that much older, so... No.
0: Like, by my consideration, they're both basically kids.
1: They're babies. But in Grace's case, sentencing her to death was... It was mostly a ceremonial thing. It was... Yeah. It was mostly just to make a point. Women's death sentences were really, very rarely carried out before the 20th century.
0: Usually commuted. Most of
1: history. Yeah, for... Th-
0: like, that's highly unusual for a woman to actually be ex- executed, even if she's sentenced to It's it. a very modern thing. Like, that was the expectation.
1: Yeah, because the thing is, is that hangings were public entertainment at the time, and the public mm-hmm. actually found it very distasteful to watch a woman be hanged.
0: People in the past were desensitized, but they were very selectively desensitized. Watching a woman
1: get killed is, like... You can't maintain your murder boner. You can't. It's a sad murder boner. Outside of the French Revolution, mm. they're just like, mm, no. No. Not mm. so much. It's They just didn't want to see it. Um, it wasn't fun in the same way watching a man be killed was. Yeah, they just found it distasteful. It's, <laughs> But hanging men, that's completely tasteful.
0: What kind of s- hanging a woman, what kind of smut is this? Yeah. <laughs> I can't have any good, jolly fun with murdering a man named James or Sam. God. Or James again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's go watch them torture a bear, because that was also entertainment at the time. Just,
0: Just the height of frivolity.
1: Before you're criticizing Netflix for turning us all into zombies, you should know that the alternative is bear torture. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> you might think that like television is the beginning of like the decline of human civilization Not so. No. Cockfighting used to be real big. Cockfighting <clears throat> and
1: public hangings So instead of hanging Grace her sentence was commuted to life in prison in the women's section of the Kingston Penitentiary, which is one of Canada's most famous jails. It's like an Alcatraz, except it's not in a bay or remarkable in any way.
0: It's just surrounded by swamp. It's just there.
1: I don't know. We're fond of it. It's just
0: middle of the wilderness. Escape if you want to. It's black fly season. That's
1: true of all of Canada. Canada's greatest... The reason that Canadian inmates don't escape is because the alternative is being outdoors in Canada.
0: Yeah, just being surrounded by a lot of Canada. Just a
1: lot. If you do want to listen to an episode about a Canadian prison escape, though, check out our Ellen Legere episode. Find out how you can yeah. escape with a TV antenna up your ass. <laughs> Don't, I'm gonna die. <laughs> she still finds it funny. Oh. stuck in front of his ass! Every time. It's been weeks since we filmed that, and you're still all right. <laughs> Jessica's still not okay I'm fine okay. alright um, the Kingston Penitentiary was open from 1831 to 2013 and in all of its reign Grace Marks is still one of the most famous inmates to ever be incarcerated there despite being incarcerated there 12 years after it opened James McDermott was not so lucky he was hanged at noon on November 21st 1843 after his last ditch effort to throw Grace back under the bus
0: just, just to back the bus up, uh, up and hit her again. Yeah,
1: just one more time. So as for Grace, Grace apparently lost her mind in prison. This wasn't like Orange is the New Black prison. Prison in the day was heavily religious, and the day consisted mostly of silence, Bible study, and needlepoint for women.
0: I already want to throw myself out of the window. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Jessica chooses death. Um, <laughs>
0: release me from this mortal coil I will not complete needlepoint
1: <laughs> really it's not the silence of the bible you have an issue with it's just cross stitching that's what you object to <laughs> I have very thick fingers <laughs> how dare you make me embroider <laughs> arts and crafts nay I cheat beat me death. if you must place me on the chain gangs I will split rocks until I bleed but I will not embroider you a pony <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will not make you something tweed to hang in your kitchen
1: no Christmas ornaments for you I will manufacture license plates until my fingers <laughs> fall off <laughs> alright Jessica will not do well in prison. um
0: I shall not be made to knit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Christ. Yeah, it was kind of believed at the time, though, that people committed crimes because they weren't pious enough or godly enough. So prisons were basically, like, enforced shitty monasteries. You weren't allowed to speak. It was just a lot of silent reflection. That's what they thought that you needed. Just a Bible and a lot of time to reflect on it.
0: Isolation. That'll help you become less antisocial. Really helpful
1: in a time when nobody can fucking read, also. Um, Oh,
0: yeah, super. So, there was... (laughs) You can read as many books as you want, illiterate 16-year-olds. As long as that
1: book is the Bible. Have at it.
0: (laughs) Specifically
1: the Bible. Yes, that's it. But you can
0: read it again and again. Hooray.
1: There was also an unbelievable amount of abuse going on. These were not well-regulated institutions. And... This is my shocked face. I know. Just imagine that. A church-run institution in early Canada... With no government oversight, abusing vulnerable people in its care. What never happened? What a concept! I don't believe it. Baffling. Never. Um, but also prisons were open to the public, so people would literally come to the prison. Yeah, they were treated as entertainment. They were. You could come to the prison, pay some money, and ask to see the famous Grace Marks, and they would trot her out like a show pony, and you could stare at her. Yeah. Which, oh god. that's not fun. Pre-amusement parks penal system was treated as entertainment. Yeah, it was a human zoo.
0: And a us in insane asylum. Yeah,
1: they're all zoos. Just everything yeah, with zoos. Like
0: it's it's a people zoo. What fun? Yeah, there's there's not a lot of dignity in being a prisoner in this era, or in any era for that matter.
1: I'm so glad I live in an era where I can pay five bucks a month to watch Stranger Things and Orange Is the New Black and Kimmy Schmidt, rather than having to like head down to ye old state prison. And pay money to just stare at people who did crimes.
0: Yeah, especially because, like, they're not actually doing crimes when you're looking at no, them. No, they're just existing. They just
1: did a crime. Stranger Things is much better. Orange is the New Black is much better. All of it's yeah, much better. Yeah, like, there's, there's a psychic child. That's
0: way more interesting than a lady who once did something wrong.
1: Yeah, you can't just, like, stare at an inmate until they have a character arc in front of you. That's not really how this works. You're just looking at him. You don't really get the convenience of home entertainment and surround sound. Just pure rubbernecking. So, in 1852, Grace was sent to the Provincial Lunatic Asylum, and some assumed that prison and tourists had driven her mad, because, yeah. But the superintendent Mm. believed that she was faking her insanity. I don't know. Why? I don't know, he doesn't really (laughs) give a reason for it, he just, maybe he also hates the Irish? Maybe she wasn't very convincing. She just showed up like, I am I am crazy. <makes noise> I'm crazy. No, I don't know. He just says that she believed that she was faking. And after 15 months at the asylum, she was sent back to the prison. After getting back, Grace was apparently... Health. Health. I mean, I can't imagine that a 19th century lunatic asylum is exactly a vacation. No. I don't think that's pleasant, but...
0: Yeah, I don't think they go much easier on you at the at the at the mental hospital
1: yeah I can't Considering imagine
0: they also let people look at you
1: <laughs> I mean these at the time are also largely church-run institutions with very little government oversight who frequently abused the vulnerable people in their care shocked face but um... No, when she got back, Grace was a model inmate, and she apparently managed to win the hearts of several very important people during her time there who started petitioning for her to be granted a pardon. And incredibly, they won. Mm. Grace was pardoned in 1872 after 29 years of incarceration at the age of 45. Wow. She moved to upstate New York after that, like she fucking intended to when she was 16. And then she disappeared into history. We have no trace of what happened to her has ever been found, and the circumstances of her death are not known. She just disappeared. You could just change your name and disappear into history back then. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: As soon as you vanished off the census records, we really had no way of knowing what happened to you.
0: Mm-hmm. So we like, don't know if so Insofar she'd... as, like, no one was officially tracking her, she can just-
1: I mean, go you could on. just move to the United States there because you fucking felt like it. You didn't have to mm-hmm. mail them six copies of your birth certificate and your passport. Oh yeah, like before they'll <laughs> grant you a student visa. Like you could just kind of go.
0: Even as as early, like as recently as my childhood, Americans and Canadians used to be able to pass over the border with just a driver's license. Like you didn't even have to have a passport back in the day. If you go further far enough back, it's just like the difference between one country and another. When you're very close to the border, is minimal, and there are very few barriers to just hopping back and forth.
1: Oh, and in the day, you could just sort of make shit up. People are gonna take mm-hmm. you at your word for it.
0: Yeah, like if you move to a new community where no one knows you, you can just claim to be an entirely different person,
1: and no one's gonna question it. Yeah, you don't have you don't have a social security number. Or social insurance number, you don't have you're not carrying around like government issued photo ID at this time. This is no. you just sort of you are who you A say you are. A lot of people
0: don't even have birth
1: certificates, no, because you're born in Ireland, that's your birth certificate. You fled, like mm-hmm. that's about it. But yeah, we, we don't know what happened to Grace Marks, we have no idea whatever became of her. If she ever married, or I mean, she was 45 when she got out, so maybe she had kids of her own. It's not impossible. She, we don't know if she ever had a career, or if she if yeah. she lived a long life. We don't know. Just a blank. Yeah. At her release, Grace was asked a series of liberation questions that were kind of a standard exit interview for everybody who got out. And when she was asked, What has been the general cause of your misfortune, and what has been the immediate cause of the crime for which you have been sent to the penitentiary, she replied, Having been employed in the same house with a villain. Ooh... 29 so years, really she's mean. she's still she's still mad. Salty. James McDermott has been dead for almost three decades at this point, and she's
0: <laughs> still mad. Vintage salt. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, I can't really blame her. No. She's she <laughs> spent, spent most of
0: her young life in prison because of that.
1: For a crime that she claimed she did not commit, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Her case more or less disappeared from public consciousness because everyone who cared about it kind of got old and died. Um until as Margaret Atwood do. as they do, until Margaret Atwood stumbled across it and resurrected it. And honestly, we'll never really know what happened at the Kinnear house that day. Even at the time it wasn't. Tell us quit. the truth, Maggie. <laughs> are you on are you Give on nickname knowledge. nickname terms with Margaret Atwood? Are you suggesting the um, two of you
0: get Maggie brunch? knows me? <laughs>
1: We're going to get a very angry cease and desist from <laughs> Margaret Atwood's lawyers. It's just
0: the queen is so far away.
1: <laughs> I feel like referring to Margaret Atwood as Maggie, even outside of her presence, is probably uh, illegal in Canada. Maggie. <laughs> That's probably an indictable offense in this country.
0: If I was a foreigner, they'd deport me.
1: God, yes.
0: As is, they must tolerate my presence on these shores.
1: Oh, good God. I cannot save you. I, Unlike many of our listeners, I am not a lawyer and I cannot save you from yourself. You have to face the consequences on your own. But yeah, we will never really know what happened that day. Even at the time, it wasn't clear. Grace and McDermott both told several different versions of those stories to people in prison But only the final versions were preserved, so we have no way of knowing how much their story changed with retellings. We have no idea how much investigators sort of coerce them. It's very easy to get a false confession out of somebody, especially especially if they're terrified.
0: Terrified, illiterate.
1: 16-year-olds, yeah. So we have no idea how their stories changed with each retelling. We just know that their stories conflict with each other none of the witnesses seemed to agree on much and in later life, no one could even agree if Grace was sane or not so, was Grace a cunning mastermind who manipulated a simple immigrant farm boy into doing her dirty work for her because she was pissed off was she hmm. an easily manipulated servant girl who just happened to be a few pickles short of a jar when she came to work alongside a real psychopath Did she? was she a willing participant who went along with him, was she not, was she afraid of him, was she not we'll just never really know yeah,
0: like, we obviously can have theories and we can have, like, probablys and perhapses, but we will never get closure. We don't- we're not going to have certainty with this.
1: No, it's in- I mean, it's possible that Grace Marks was a mastermind who blamed McDermott to the day she got out and stuck to her story. It's possible that she wasn't. It's possible that she just happened to live in the house with a fucking psycho- Who wanted to murder their employers, and she just kind of got caught up in the middle of it. As a you know, she was a poor immigrant with nowhere to run. So we'll never know. You've listened to three hours of this, only to get no answers. No answers. As with most of our podcasts,
0: we give you a lot of background, a lot of context, but no real closure. Hooray, isn't real life fun? Ah, the random paths and unweaving, unending plot points that never really seem to go anywhere delightful.
1: People are imperfect, information is imperfect, and sometimes there's no recovering information once it's lost.
0: The past is a great gaping void. It will devour us all.
1: Hooray! Well, that's that's not quite the lesson that I wanted to give here. <laughs> I think I think if I had to choose a moral, it was like, we aren't always fair to people who are accused of heinous crimes because of who they are. Um... Don't be a racist. Don't be a racist against the Irish. And if someone tells you he's going to kill somebody, say something? Yeah, probably don't just go along with people who are like, I'm going to murder that guy. You need to help me. Don't be yeah. like, yeah, that sounds good. That's not good. Sure. Don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, that is the 175-year story of, uh, of Grace Marks. Yay! Hooray.
0: Hope you've enjoyed the episode. I've been Jessica.
1: And I have still been Janelle and this and episode Bianca, is
0: my yes yeah, Bianca, Bian- Bianca
1: she's still asleep and I'm kind of worried that she may have like lapsed into an actual food <laughs> coma just
0: like, so just liter- literal like like her brain waves have just gone offline just-
1: <laughs> <laughs> she weighs 5.7 pounds and I feel like any serious disruption to her biological equilibrium could just take her out so <laughs> She's not a I'm, robust creature I'm, I'm Janelle and I'm gonna go see if my dog Needs CPR <laughs> We'll keep you posted
0: uh, yeah. And we have been Fat, Fat French, French And, and Fabulous, fabulous. <laughs> Hey everybody thank you for watching Another episode of Fat French and Fabulous If you did enjoy the episode do Rate, review, or subscribe uh, Tell a friend it really helps us out. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook or on and on Twitter at Fat French Fab. If you'd like to follow us individually, you can find Janelle at Very Bad Llama and me at I Am Not Lungfish. See you next week.